Hello and welcome to Meet the Producer. This is the new podcast series from the Production Guild of Great Britain, in which we get a unique insight into the careers and work of some inspirational producers. I'm Jason Solomons, film critic and presenter on TV and radio and in newspapers, now embarking on a new career as a film producer. So what better way, I thought, to start out than by asking some of the best in the business for advice. How do you start? Where does the money come from? How do you make deals for stars and attached directors? And what does a producer do all day? I'll ask a diverse collection of guests to understand how some of our favourite films and TV shows have come together. And we'll all find out more as I meet the producer. My guest on this show is Rupesh Parekh, who's quickly become one of the UK's busiest and most in-demand producers. Starting out in independent film, his increasingly impressive list of recent high-end TV credits include Agatha Christie adaptations, Ordeal by Innocence and And Then There Were None, The Swooning Holdark, superb Andrea Levy adaptation The Long Song and the spectacular His Dark Materials. And he's even got a bigger series now in the pipeline in the form of Willow, which I can't wait to hear more about. So let's find out what's in store as I call Rupesh Parekh and meet the producer. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me. Uh, Well, it's an absolute pleasure to sort of look at the work that you've put out as well, Rupesh. I've been a long admirer uh, of some of the things that you've put out, particularly The Long Song, which was a a drama adapted from an Andrea Levy book, which I thought was, you know, just terrific, terrific stuff. I mean, there's lots to go into, and I'm sure we will. Um, But let's start now. What are you working on at the moment? What does Rupesh, the producer, do all day? (laughs) Well, at the moment, I'm um, executive producer on a series called Willow, which is uh, based on the Ron Howard uh, and George Lucas movie from uh, 1988. Uh, And this is a a reimagining of that movie for a whole new audience um, produced by Lucasfilm uh, for Disney Plus. And uh, we finished filming at the end of last year, and we're almost um, at the end of the post-production process. Wow, so, that, was, that was such a popular film. I, I remember it from, from the 80s. Val Kilmer, right, in Willow? Val Kilmer. <laughs> I remember it very well. But yeah, and obviously led by the wonderful Warwick Davis, yeah. who, um, who who is reprising his role as well. Is he? He is, and I think that was that was essential in terms of being able to to bring back to life the the, sh- the movie and, and, you know, it's such an iconic character and, and a role that, you know, Warwick portrayed in such an incredible way at the age of 17 when they originally shot the movie. So, yeah, so some 30 plus years later, he's back and, and still is brilliant. Same character, so it's still Willow, but it's been 20 years since the events of the original movie. Um, and and there's a whole new ensemble cast that join uh, Willow on his journey to uh, to fight good versus evil. I guess that's all I can say at the moment. It's amazing, isn't it? Because Val Kilmer, I just saw him recently in Top Gun Maverick, sort of slightly reprising his role, sort of looking mm. back. And there's obviously a bit of you know Val Kilmer, Val Kilmer sort of uh, memorabilia going on as well. Yeah, Val. I mean, Val is an exceptional artist. I mean, his his documentary, you know, coincidentally uh, that premiered at Cannes last year, was phenomenal insight into into both, you know, the kind of personality he is, but as well as his art and sort of his perception of the world and 
and his sort of take on things, I, I think are just he's so unique. Uh, and and again, he's played many iconic roles. But I think for people that know Willow and and love it in the same way that we do, uh, I think Val is always sort of linked back to that as one of his greatest i have to say but you know he's he's done so much from top gun to batman to various things but i think also for me you know i think val is always so closely associated with with willow absolutely um, but he had that sort of tongue-in-cheek quality to him i loved him in the zucker brothers top secret sort of after the airplane franchise and he was a sort of spy in those and always that's been able right. to sort of yeah. take the mickey out of his own persona how do you get involved in something like that is it your idea rupesh did did George lucas come to you with it who, who was the impetus for for reprising this brand the showrunner is jonathan caston and and it's very much his baby and it's very much his idea i think when he was filming solo uh the movie that he uh, co-wrote um, with Lawrence Kasdan. They um, were on set with Ron Howard. They started talking about Willow, and John had this idea of a way in which he felt he could he could bring back Willow to a new audience um, and tell the story over eight one hours serialized. And Ron got very much behind it. So did Lucasfilm, and and John Kasdan went into a, a lengthy development and, and writing process over a couple of years. And then I joined the production at the end of 2019, uh, beginning of 2020, where we uh, started talking about how we might be able to uh, to bring the show to life, you know, and that's kind of where I get involved as a producer in, in a lot of the projects that I work on. It's sort of, it's reached its kind of initial, end of the initial development phase in terms of the script process. It has a uh, commission or it has a limited commission just for a pilot. Um, in this case, it was a full series commission. And my job is to then work out with um, with the showrunner how we tell the story, both practically, financially, in terms of our resources, but also where it makes sense, you know, in terms of locations, in terms of the heads of departments that we want to gather and how we can build a really strong creative team that's going to service the story in the way that the show runs. And do they come to you, or is this something you pitch for and sort of say, like me and me and what's your company name? <laughs> My company name is Golden Boy Productions, oh. um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I say that proudly. Um, well, I'm and... sure you're your mother's golden boy. <laughs> Absolutely. Some <laughs> <laughs> <Not just> ones. <laughs> Well, exactly, right? It's 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 a combination. There are times when I sort of go out and pitch for projects and and, and sort of put my name out there. Uh, there are times when companies approach me. In this particular case, um, Lucasfilm approached me. Uh, they were familiar with some of the work that I'd done, and uh, and I just ended up on a uh, a call with John, and we started talking about the kind of show that we wanted to make, what my sort of tastes were what his tastes were, places that we thought we could take the the show, the kind of artists that we were interested in working with in terms of actors, as well as heads of departments. And, and it kind of just became an organic process from there where we started to kind of snowball and create momentum and pace and, and bring people along with us. And then we found ourselves selecting Wales as our central location. Uh, we felt that the vast landscapes that Wales has to offer was going to work perfectly for um, the sort of period fantasy um, setting for Willow. Um, and you'd worked in Wales before. And I'd also worked in Wales before, that's right, on His Dark Materials. Yeah, of so it was, it was great because there was a huge, 
you know, Wales has such an incredible talent pool and it meant that we were able to tap into that and, and bring some incredibly talented and wonderful behind the scenes um, crew um, onto the production. And, uh, and you know, you kind of go into it knowing you're in safe hands because there's such a, a dedicated and passionate group of, of crew that are there uh, that have come through. What, what, does, what do big Hollywood producers like John Kasdan and Ron Howard say when you say, well, we're going to shoot in Wales? Do they... They kind of go. What you mean? Where, where where is Wales? Do they say? Or do they all... No, it's Ron. Ron actually shot in Wales back in the the original Willow movie, and and Warwick remembered it very well from standing in a quarry back in you know mid eighties um, when they were shooting the the final act of the original Willow movie. So they were they were quite excited about the idea of being able to go back. But at the time of year we were we were going, everybody was warning us to obviously make sure that we had. Lots of wet weather gear, which was which was going to be key. That could be any um, time of the year, Rupert. Well, frankly, I, I, yes. I run the Green Man Film Festival, well, the the, the, the Cinedrome at the Green Man right. Festival. So we're yeah. in Wales in August, and uh, you know yeah. we we tend to, we 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 equip people with equal wet weather gear then too. Exactly right. <laughs> and I think for for John, he was very he was very excited. He was very open about about where we would set the show, but. We started to send him, we being myself and Christian Mulster, who's our production designer, we started to send over images of places that we'd wreckied with um, the location team in Wales. And John could really start to piece together where the story was going. And, and because the whole of the, se- the series is a quest, Willow and Co are traveling across several different lands and different terrains across eight episodes. We needed something that was always going to be a little bit different, a little bit unique to each episode. And Wales has just such a variety to offer us that it meant that we could go to the north and, and we'd have one type of typography, one type of landscape. We'd go to the south, it was something different. Sharing all of this with John, he was just like, is this this all in the same place? Or are this, you know, 10 hours apart? And we're like, it's, it's all within an hour, two hours of where we're filming. And and that just kind of got everybody excited. And then, and then you know, and John is just incredible in this way. Not not many people, from my experience, would necessarily approach it in this way. But John would write to locations. He would write to discoveries that we would make along the way. So we would be out scouting. We would see something different, something unique. And and he would be happy to, to reshape a scene to fit into that if it was a, a unique location, something that was just striking and that he felt could be quite exciting visually for, for an audience. What's the timeline on all this, Rupesh? How long have you been working on it? And what sort of, you know, how, how big's a crew? What's the undertaking here for you as a producer to sort of marshal all these troops? It's, it's a huge undertaking. I mean, we developed the show because it's the first and there's a combination of factors. It's a first series of yeah. uh, an untried, untested show. Um, although it has incredible IP and it has you know a huge legacy behind it, it's also launching a new franchise under the Lucasfilm brand. You know, we are trying to make something that has got to stand up to the mark of Star Wars um, and Indiana Jones. Um, so it has to have that quality. It has to have that sort of Lucasfilm seal of approval, if you will. And yet, at the same time, it's it's its own thing. You know, it's it's not um, Harrison Ford. It's not what you're used to seeing with you know the the last sort of trilogy of the Star Wars movies. It's something different. It's something much more grounded. It's a fantasy that's grounded within 
the world that it's in. There's a huge amount of humour behind it as well. I think that's one of the things that the audiences will really... Yeah, Willow enjoy. was always funny. Yeah, that's why I like Willow it. was always funny and we really lean into that, you know, in this and it's and it's so rare, I think, in the fantasy space to have, you know, shows that are not dark and foreboding and, and instead a, a much more sort of have a huge amount of levity behind it. It's, it's much lighter. There's always a greater sense of hope. It is that typical traditional good versus evil story but it's just done with just so much more humor and hope and i think that that's what that's what makes it stand out so how much of your life did this take up i mean you said two, they, you started they started talking to you in 2019 and yeah i basically we kind of officially went into prep april of 2020 just sort of after <laughs> Pretty much after um, lockdown had started, uh, which was nice, it gave us something to focus on yeah. um, and gave us hope, really, um, that we would come out of lockdown at some point. So we used the summer of 2020 to to crew up and get all our heads of departments together. Uh, and then we started prep in September uh, of that year. We started filming in June last year and we shot until Christmas. So it was media, it was just over a six month shoot. We employed over 300 people. Uh, we had 25 dedicated trainees across six months um, in various departments from visual effects to art departments, to costume, which was essential for us. We wanted to make sure that we were investing in the local industry. And we had a, you know, we had an ensemble cast of Willow plus six. And um, we had crowds, you know, depending on which day we were, anywhere between 100 to three, 400. So it was it was a big undertaking. We had multiple units shooting. I think towards the end we were we had four units shooting all at the same time. Uh, so that's always fun. Who was paying but you? Who was paying for all this? It's all funded through Disney Plus. Wow. Yeah. It's a Disney Plus commission. So it's it's a big undertaking because you're trying to tell a grand story on a on a huge scale and i think this is one that one of the things that we're seeing a lot in our industry at the moment is that sort of crossover between feature and television yeah. where those lines are blurring more and more and anything that you know is is for a uh, a big streamer i would say at this stage has got to has got to have that sort of a level visual effects quality to it it's got to have you know outstanding costume outstanding sets i think the world that you're trying to create has got to be so different and so sort of magnificent to what what you might have seen two or three years ago. Audiences are just so much cleverer about what they, you know, what the visual effects tricks are these days. They have such a high standard and rightly so, because I think to tell these kind of uh, fantasy stories, you really do need to invest in the, in the world building, in the world creation. Has this gone on? Uh, it goes up a notch each time. I mean, you mentioned his Dark Materials, also which you shot with Bad Wolf in, in Wales, and that that looked yeah. really spectacular to me for, a t for 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 TV. Absolutely. I mean, I think I think Bad Wolf and and Jane Transer and the team there are just phenomenal, and I think industry leaders, um, not just in the UK, I think around the world. I think his Dark Materials was trying to do something at a time when hardly anybody else in the UK was trying to make a. Uh, such an ambitious show with vast complicated visual effects of which had never been seen really on the BBC uh, and it was a BBC HBO co-production and it was something so unique and different and I think and you that were a producer on that is that right I was yeah I was the series producer on that so um I had I had a producer that would work underneath me because we had um we had again multiple units and multiple things happening at the same time um but i sort of I, I on that my sort of role was to oversee 
both the physical production of making the show on a day-to-day -day basis uh, and reporting to Jane uh, Tranter, our executive producer, and Dan McCulloch, who's the other executive producer on the show, and also to be involved in, um, in major creative um, aspects of the show. So whether that was how we were going to design the witches that you see across yes. the uh, That was something that, you know, I, I worked closely with the costume designer and the makeup designer on that. Casting, which was a great process, particularly I think both Jane, Dan, myself were so pleased and proud of, um, of Amir Wilson, who we cast for the second season to play Will Parry. Um, and he was just such a incredible talent that we sort of discovered in the early rounds of casting. Why were you so um, proud of, of, of that? I think just because it was it was brilliant to see, for me personally, it was brilliant to see a young, talented actor who um, hadn't really been given any kind of leg up, had kind of made his own way through this. Mm. It was obviously from a from a diverse background. Yeah. And was suddenly a, a leading young man in a in a major fantasy series you know and he'd done it all off his own back and he'd worked incredibly hard for it he came into every audition and really knocked it out of the park don't come any closer so you're the knife bearer <laughs> i was told i'd find my father right here to you was that Ooh. to bring uh let's say a, a person from a diverse background into a, a sort of fantasy realm where you know perhaps traditionally that sort of representation hasn't been been great for for people of diversity and you're you're yeah. say diverse yourself yes uh, you are diverse it's ridiculous to say <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you know you're i don't know yeah. what your, your background is your Anglo uh, I'm, Asian. I'm indian indian asian yes yeah, yeah. yeah. you know uh born in the uk and my, my both my parents are from South India. Absolutely. I mean, I think for myself coming into an industry which I began sort of 17 years ago, um, and there weren't really many people like me, uh, there still aren't that many people like me. Yeah. But, um, you know, things are changing uh, for the good. Uh, but I think that what I noticed was particularly over the last sort of five, six years that you would start to see people from sort of ethnic backgrounds that were in particular types of television shows. So they were in, you know, self-contained, limited one hour, one and a half hour uh, dramas, or they were in an urban drama about something. But what you what you didn't see was huge visual effects, world building, world creation shows, big fantasy stuff, where you also had people from different ethnic backgrounds that were also involved. And it kind of didn't really, the stories weren't really focused on their background. They were focused on 
on these characters, particularly if they were based on novels. And it was about the portrayal of these characters by these wonderful actors. And it was focusing on that as opposed to, uh, you know, an ethnic storyline that needed to go with that. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily, you know, there's a, there's, and that's absolutely important. I think there are so many, um, so many wonderful stories to tell about people from, from my background, uh, from various other backgrounds. But I think that there are, there's also a space for people to, cast um really talented actors to play roles that may have nothing really to do with their own ethnicity or their own yeah and it strikes me that the fantasy realm is actually perfect for this because sort of all bets are off because if you've got you know you've got unicorns and dwarves and dragons and all of this sort of thing you you don't have to ask questions as like why is that why is there a black man in the mountains or something like that you don't have to you don't have to kind of go for some similitude there justified in in any way i mean i think that that's that's definitely something that i you know what what i love seeing is uh something like bridgeton which you know at the moment is has been great in terms of the cultural impact that that show has made. I mean, I I produce things like Poldark, uh, and a, and I also produce some Agatha Christie's, which I'm I'm really proud of. Ordeal by I, Innocence, right? Ordeal by Innocence. Um, I was also uh, I worked on, and then there were none. Oh, I loved that. I remember being hooked on it. Was over like a bank holiday weekend. I was over the uh, Boxing Day. Boxing Day. And it was three uh, nights yeah, in a row. I was like, oh That's yeah, let's right. watch this. Yeah, yeah I like yeah. that. Yeah, and um, you know, and I I think one of the things that I wish we'd done more is obviously push for more um a broader sort of uh diverse cast than we did have on on those period dramas and and i think that that's starting to change i think something like bridgeton is completely leading leading mm-hmm. the path and the how much of you as a producer when you now that you're sort of a very senior producer in you know in the in the british landscape you, more powerful decisions that you have in terms of casting have you, have you noticed you can kind of push for something a bit more and get more done than you perhaps used to be able to I, I definitely feel that I have a, a greater voice, uh, and obviously with that comes greater responsibility. So I want to make sure that I'm anything that I do, I am doing for the right reasons. But I, I certainly feel in the last few years, I've I've been able to get more involved, both in terms of casting and the type of casting that we we do, but also same with the HOD approvals, um, you know, and people that I'm putting forward. See, that's key as well. I know on screen representation is great, but obviously behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, absolutely. I mean, there is still a significant, you know, lack of training and um, an investment in in bringing people into the industry who traditionally would not take that path. I know that, you know, so many different initiatives and schemes are now really promoting this, and that's great. So much more needs to be done. You know, I was one, I'd like to think I was quite lucky and fortunate in that I didn't come from uh, a privileged background at all. And, and anything I did in the industry, I had to work extremely hard for. But yeah. when I started 16, 17 years ago, the way you got into the industry was you worked for free and you made tea and coffee and you ran around and you did odd tasks and um, and you were lucky if you got your travel card reimbursed, you know. Um, I <laughs> and mean, what, was... and you were lucky if your parents went, yeah, that's all right. You should and do you, that. Well, exactly, yeah. You know, and at the same time as that, I remember I used to make a lot of short films and I'd spend all day working on a short film and then I'd go do a, a bar shift uh, at a pub because that's how, well, that's what was going to pay where, my... Where was this? Where were you growing up? I was... Oh, no, I grew up in Leicester. Oh. But when I, when I moved to London and, and I started working on short films... I worked at a, a pub called the Anchor Bankside uh, near uh, London Bridge, yeah. or near Borough, uh, actually, Borough Market. And uh, and I used to go there 
almost every evening from sort of six o'clock until 11 o'clock. And, and I'd spend all day working on short films and prepping or shooting or doing whatever needed to be done. And then I'd go and spend five, six hours actually earning the wages that I needed to earn. So I would be doing 15, 16, 17 hour days from a very young age, because that's that was my understanding of how you worked in the film and TV industry. And that's what you wanted to do. And you wanted to, you, you came to London like seeking fame and fortune in the movies. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> um, I think I think the you know for me it's filmmaking has always been a, a passion of mine. I, I can't particularly say at what point it became this is what I want to do, but I know it was from a very young age. Certainly from by the time I was sort of 14, 15. I knew that what I wanted to do is work in film, TV, Why? What had, you, what had you seen that made you want to do that? I, do you know what? It was the Leicester Haymarket Theatre that inspired me. This was the, a local repertory theatre, uh, which was quite famous for having early initial runs of things like the Rocky Horror Show, uh, which would start there and then, and then travel around um, and end up in the West End. But I was, I was about 15. I was part of the youth theatre there. Oh. And I, I made friends with everybody who worked in that theatre. And I was, I'm sure, extremely annoying to everybody. <laughs> um, but I just kind of fell in love with, with the live performance nature of theatre. You know, every night being able to be part of something that was being put forward in front of a live audience and you didn't quite know exactly what the reaction was going to be and how it was going to work. Um, and obviously things would go wrong from time to time and and that was all part of it but the 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 sort of the energy and the adrenaline that you get of doing live shows was phenomenal and then the camaraderie of the technicians and the lighting designer and the set designer and the director and everybody and the cast all hanging out afterwards and talking about it it was just great you know the, the sort of social aspect to it along with the the sort of artistic aspect to it. I just fell, fell in love with it. And at that point I realized that I, this is something that I wanted to get more involved in. And then that passion translated from theater into short films. Um, always, is this always, this, when were you developing that uh, the producer was the one in the center of all of this? When did you, you know? When... I think I I was always, I guess I started that when I, when I was doing things at the Leicester Haymarket, I was part of a youth theater. And I was so sick and tired of sketches and silly sort of skits that you would do as part of youth theatre. I really wanted us to take some text, you know, I wasn't quite so eloquent about it at the time, but I really wanted us to take some text and, and translate that onto the stage in a different way. And I wanted us to be able to really get, you know, into a script and, and produce a, an hour long show or an hour and a half long show instead of these sort of 10 minute sketches. And I spent a good six months pestering uh, the education and outreach people over at the theatre, the chief executive of the theatre, who I would always make sure I, I was hanging around the sort of exit um, at, at five o'clock, knowing that she'd be leaving and, and be like, listen, if you ever have a spot available in your small auditorium, the youth theatre and I can put this together. And they would always just be like, who is this guy? Why, why is he so keen to put on a show? And I didn't know what putting on a show meant. And it was through a series of fortunate events that took place where on, I remember it was a Valentine's weekend in February, and there was going to be a number of productions that were coming into the theatre and putting on one hour shows across the whole of the weekend. It was called, the, the theme of it was love in the 21st century. And I 
really wanted my theatre group to push, put something on, but we, we couldn't get a look in because there were all these touring companies that were coming in. And two and a half weeks before the event, um, the education and outreach person came over to me. Um, and I just used to hang around the theatre foyer all afternoon after school. And that's all I did. My friends were there. We all just used to talk about whatever and just hang around. And they came over and said, one of the touring groups has just pulled out. So we have a one hour slot on Saturday at 4 p.m. Um, and you've got to, if you're interested, you've got two and a half weeks to fill that slot. Whatever you want to do in that one hour is up to you. We'll give you in-kind resources in terms of lighting design. You can go into wardrobe and pick whatever you want from our stock wardrobe. You know, you'll get a couple of days of rehearsal on the stage itself. We'll give you lots of support, but we can't give you any money and we can't really give you anything significant or material. I was 15 at the time and myself, my youth theatre buddies, uh, cutting a very long story short, got together, sketched out what we thought was a, a lovely three-act play uh, with a beginning, middle and an end, uh, and we told a story. And I would be lying if I said it was any good, but what was great about it was um, we spent two and a half weeks together putting on a show, and that's when I realised that what I loved doing was being able to get talented people together and really go for gold. You know, forget about the barriers, forget about the the challenges that lie ahead, just focus on what it is you're trying to do and get there. And I think that was probably the early germination. And is that still your is that still your ethos? Absolutely. I mean it has to be. I think to be to be a producer, particularly in this climate, when the market is so tough, the competition is so tough for attracting talent, attracting casts, attracting great heads of departments, you've got to be really ambitious. You've got to pitch high got to sell the project to the people that you're trying to attract and bring on and then once you've got them you've got to nurture them and you've got to support them guide them navigate them and it's tough because a lot of the times you're you're facing a very difficult position where myself as the producer on the ground i'm dealing with whatever is happening there and then but i have responsibilities to the studio or the network or the production company and the executive producers from from those entities um I also have a director that I'm trying to support and, and he or she may be trying to tell one type of story which may or may not be the same as what the studio or the network are trying <laughs> to tell. So it's balancing all of those things. And I think that um and I think that's that's what producing is. It's being able to navigate through all of that and ultimately keep keep, you know, your eye on the price, keep an eye on the bigger picture of what it is you're trying to make and why. Mm. And the story you're servicing. You know, that's what yeah, this is this is something I wanted to ask you because um as a sort of neophyte producer myself, it was all fantastic advice and it was quite nice and idealistic and strong and a through line. And I also love a bit of you know, love a bit of the theatre when I was when I was younger as well and the troop and the camaraderie, really? getting it done. I love all of that. Um uh, but you um you brought Andrea Levy's book, The Long Song, to the screen. Is that is that right? Uh, uh you know, a great author, um and you know, I've I've, ad- I've I've optioned a book, and you know, you're adapting a literary property. And I remember your cast, which included Lenny Henry and Hayley Atwell and Jack Loudon. You know, fantastic cast, Tamara Lawrence. Um, you know, you, you're adapting a book that's brilliant, brilliantly written by Andrew Levy, but you've got to make it, you know, translate that to the screen. What's that journey? What's the what's the sort of key in adaptation? Because you've also done it with Philip Pullman and his Dark Materials as well, where people have got a loved literary property and you've got to maintain that texture yet do something different with it on the screen it's it's definitely 
uh, a challenge to find that balance of um, you know paying paying sort of respect and homage to the novel as well as allowing the sort of the freedom to be able to um, go on a go on a journey to, to sort of visually tell the story in how you feel you know is the right way. I think something like the long song is was very unique. Uh, it was actually the book was optioned by Heyday uh, Films, so David Heyman's company along with Rosie Allison. And Rosie was very much the the creative lead executive producer on the series, uh, and we were very fortunate in that we had a we had a phenomenal director, Mahalia Bello, um, who was very much an uh, an auteur in her own sort of style and her way of of storytelling. And and what it, what we ended up with was this. We you know we had the book, but really we had Mahalia's vision, and we had what what she was trying to create, and my job especially because the show was shot in the Dominican Republic um, exclusively there. We only had about 20 heads of 20 sort of crew from the UK and we had about a hundred odd uh, crew from the Dominican Republic. Wow. My job was to do everything I could to help um, May tell the story that she was trying to tell. And that's, that's really rewarding in the sense that when you can understand what, uh, what the vision is behind what it is you're trying to make um and and you can understand the director's approach and then the director's able to sort of bring together both an incredible cast in the sense of the long song you know i think tomorrow lawrence is just a phenomenal actress and you know she was um she was our leading uh leading lady and just phenomenal in the show and then you have jack Loudon and, and Haley atwell as well it kind of meant that we we just had the right ingredients for making you know, a really powerful and an and important story. Uh, but it all comes down to who the director is. Uh, okay, so, and I think that... Yeah, so that's, that's the big decision, is it? That you, you, and it doesn't, it doesn't take shape until that director puts his or her vision on it, right? It, yeah, and I think something like The Long Song, absolutely, because it's a three-part limited series and it has to be authored and it has to be... It's to have a unique identity and it's got to be driven in a particular way. And I think you rely on the director for that. I think when it comes to... Um, his dark materials or willow it's different because you have multiple directors and really it's the producing team that are sort of the keeper of the story and are trying to keep um some continuity and some sort of resemblance of of you know identity across the show so it's different approaches yeah. you know i think producers have much more of a say in multi-episodic um television series because they're there through to the end directors come and go something like the long song or Ordeal by Innocence, which was directed by Sandra Goldbacker, again, you know, a writer director in her own right, and and again a very clear, distinct vision for the story that she wanted to tell. So it's it's great because you kind of when you bounce between the two, you experience different ways of working. I think it makes you a better producer because you have to always figure out how you as a producer can continue to add value to what it is yes. you're working. And and there are times when it's important to have a creative voice in the room. There are times where it's important to support the creative and to and to just help execute that. And I think when you're making limited series with um, with writer directors, as a producer, I tend to do more of that and to more support mm -hmm. what it is you want to make. When I'm making multi-episodic TV, I get to be much more involved in in some of the key creative. Yeah, that, that's fascinating. Well, and and um, what about the script? When when with the long song, you have the brilliant book, but it's got to be you know distilled into a script. Did Mahalia Bella do the script herself there, or did you attach a writer? What's the what's the process? Who, and 
the the process on that well the long song obviously originally was a novel which then turned into a feature script uh, which was developed with film four for a little, a little while and then and then for various reasons that didn't happen so then it became a four-part series and then ultimately became a three-part series so sarah williams had written all of the different uh adaptations of um of the long song and then continued over several years to stay with the project so then when heyday acquired it we were ready to go with sarah williams and we already had a script and i think what what was fascinating was that we had Mahega's particular sort of point of view on on how she wanted to tell the story and the characters that she wanted to focus on and how she wanted to sort of reveal the world that we were in yeah. and that was quite distinct um her perspective on it so it meant that she was able to sort of influence the script and make alterations and adjustments um in collaboration with sarah williams and, and rosie allison but what what i and my job through that was to sort of more um facilitate that process and then to also understand what the sort of production impact of that was going to be mm -hmm. because you know we were out filming in the dominican republic small changes to a script actually meant quite a significant change to what we were doing because it was a very limited budget you know limited resources very tough show to make you know we were making a show about the abolition of slavery in jamaica we were shooting in the dominican republic in 40 45 degree heat very low budget um lots of passion lots of you know enthusiasm from cast and crew alike but we were talking about subjects that were difficult you know particularly for a cast that could relate to it because they had history and deeply i think tomorrow lawrence is from jamaica as well i mean obviously That's really right. as well. exactly so you know we had to be very respectful of that um and um but we also had to remember that we were trying to tell a story and it meant that if the director wanted to go in a particular direction i think music was a great example of something that became quite an organic process on that show over both the pre-production period but the shooting you know i think may was starting to as we were getting close to starting to film was quite keen to introduce song um as a way of being able to sort of show sort of emotion and um and sort of also the sort of the will and the strength of of the slaves and also a way in which they would relay messages to each other mm -hmm. through this sort of call and response kind of um, chanting and song that they had. And so we sort of deep dived into that and, um, and started to bring in experts into that field um, and started to, you know, research different types of music. I think we got a, a mixologist involved at one point trying to discover the, the origins of some of these songs from Jamaica, which don't really have a, you know, haven't properly been recorded or have just been passed down by generations. Yeah, that's right. And I think but, you can still hear some of that in their folk music of Jamaica. It's still there, some of, some of it. And, and it's, still it's, there, steeped, it. it's steeped into reggae and dance hall as well. Uh, and the sort of toasting and sound systems, that, that sort of call and response culture. I, absolutely, yeah. And it's it's filtered through into so many different um, genres of music um, and, and different cultures. But none of that was in the script, you know. And I think that that kind of, that's the process where you do have to walk away from the scripts and the novel from time and focus them on the director and what it is you're trying to achieve with the director and this was something that was that was incredibly important for 
Mahalo and and something we all got behind and, and found a way to be able to integrate music into into the show. Yeah, it's, I think it's probably why I loved it because 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 of that, you know, it, it, mm. it kind of opened your eyes to something I've never seen anything like that. It was and it was beautiful. It looked great and great performances. The life of a white missus on a Jamaican sugar plantation be surely full of tribulation. <laughs> Didn't this dress you have buttons on the sleeve? If that is the story you wish to hear, then be on your way. For the tale I have to tell is quite a different one. It's interesting to hear you say, just before we sort of come to a close, I mean, there's so much I can unpack with all, all, all your, your career. It's been fascinating talking to you. Um, you say that my job on that, you quite often say, oh, my job on this was to do this. My job on that was to be this. Is that a defined set of job parameters before you go in, or is that something that you discover along the way? What your role in all of this as a producer, as a series producer, as a whatever type of producer you are, you discover that as you go along, or is it something that you, you know, say to you, say to someone, you know, right from the start, this is what my role will be in this? No, I mean, I think it is, it's definitely a discovery. And I, and the reason for it is because each one of these projects is is different and unique in its own way. You know, it has its own set of parameters that you have to work within, and it has different types of, you know, creative talent that's attached. Um, and it has different studios that are involved. So everyone has different ways of working. I think it's very difficult to be rigid and kind of go, this is what I do. This is what I get involved in. I don't get involved in this, so I'm not going to participate in this. I think I think if you, if you go into a project like that, you don't get the best out of, project you don't get the best for yourself out of it and you don't learn you don't develop you know i think for me being able to i started in physical production um so you know i was very limited to budgets and schedules and um and dealing with day-to-day administration and it was because uh, you know so many wonderful um executive producers gave me an opportunity to have a seat at the the high table it meant that i was able to develop more of a creative voice in the project being able to develop more of a an understanding of taste and things that i was interested in shows that i enjoyed watching and therefore talent that i wanted to bring on from some of those projects onto something that i was working on and it's all about collaboration you know i don't think it's it, you know I, I can never say i did this and i did it all on my own and i know how to do this I, it's never that i think it's the whole thing is teamwork the whole thing is collaboration you know sometimes the director will take a, a stronger lead sometimes it will be the showrunner who's the writer that's taking the lead there will be a creative north star and my job as a producer is to support that creative north star occasionally challenge and question because whether that might be for a creative reason or whether that might be for a practical or production reason, I think it's important to have that voice and feel as well. We sure we should be going down this path. Um, but ultimately, you get behind the script, the novel, the director, the writer, wh- whoever it is that's that's really the sort of, like I say, the North Star, the, the linchpin of the whole project, and that's what you're there to support. And then it means as a producer, you do whatever it takes to help make that show. When are you going to be the creative North Star? <laughs> I'm, do you know, I'm really enjoying where I am at the moment. I love working with a variety of different directors and writers um i've learned so much uh, particularly over the last sort of five years the the kind of people i've been working with it's been phenomenal to sit and watch 
how some of these guys are able to sort of execute their vision. And for me to be able to play, play a part in that is is where I love being. You know, for you me, like it's the, not the about... Jonathan Kasdan's, the Ron Howard's, the, you know, these... Jo- Jonathan Kasdan, Ron Howard, Kathy Kennedy. I mean, you yeah. know, watching producers work, you know, Jane Tranter, Dan McCullough, Damien Timmer at Mammoth Screen, who I produced four or five projects for Cold Dark over the years. Yeah, yeah. Cold Dark was one of those. You know, it's it's just wonderful to see their approaches to, to how this stuff gets done. And, you know, maybe in 10 years' time, I'll be looking at wanting to to you know set up my own company or run my own um developer project from the ground you up you must and, have one Rupesh yeah. Golden Boy Productions they must you must have like a, a, re, <laughs> a raison d'etre for that that you're like this is what I want to make what is it what is it I'll give you all the money I'll give you all the time in the world to pitch it to me what is it <laughs> I, I I'm gonna have to as as irresistible as that is I have to I have to decline getting into that moment but what I, what I would say is that the joy I get out of being able to support um directors and writers is something that that I love and and that's what I'm that's what I enjoy doing so I'm gonna you're continue doing it, you're doing it very very well indeed and talking about it very well as well brilliant to hear all your stories and brilliant to hear all you. that experience Rupesh thanks so much for joining us on meet the producer it's been a pleasure meeting the producer Rupesh Parag on this episode uh listen I wish you the best of luck with Willow sounds fantastic thank you and thank you so much when, and when, thanks when for having me when can we see Willow when when's that out Willow will Disney be Plus, out Disney Plus November 30th um so not long to go now not long. Um, and you're definitely, definitely in for a treat we were today as well cheers Rupesh take care thank you so much what a calm and considered chap in charge of such mighty enterprises, Rupesh Parek. Willow sounds huge and a very exciting thing to be involved with. All that talent, all that production now behind it. What did I learn talking to Rupesh? I thought his origin story was really exemplary. Discovering that love of putting on a show when he was young and keeping that joy as a motivating spark every day still. His thoughts on diversity were, of course, vital uh, on screen and off and how that can promote and provoke positive change. I love what he's doing there. And it was fascinating to hear about his different roles even now as a producer. You know, as successful as he is, he still has different functions within that ecosystem of producing and find your own usefulness and strength on each project. It still fascinates me how that was happening. I thought it was really instructive. And ahead of my stint uh, curating the Cinedrome back at Green Man Festival this summer amid the Brecon Beacons, well, Rupesh made Wales sound like one of the best movie locations in the world. So thanks to Rupesh for his time and his wisdom. He was really effusive afterwards on how joining the Production Guild of Great Britain has helped him connect in the industry. So, of course, we thank them too, the Production Guild of Great Britain. It's the UK's leading membership organisation for those working in film and TV drama production. It represents professionals working in a range of fields, including production, assistant directing, accounts, location management, VFX and post-production. It provides members with industry advice, training, networking, seminars and now a podcast. Hello. And Its availability service provides information on members' availability for work to heads of departments seeking crew for UK and international film and TV productions. Well, don't forget to subscribe if you're listening on your usual podcast platform so you never miss an episode of this enlightening first series. I'm Jason Solomons. See you again soon. (laughs) 